Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm very excited to welcome Jess Hirschfield. Jess is the founder and CEO of Just Enough Wines, a female-founded premium canned wine brand based out of San Francisco, California. Welcome, Jess. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. I'm so interested to dig in today and share with the audience the interesting work that you're doing in the wine business. But before we embark on that, I was wondering if you could take us back and give us a little background about who Jess is, where you grew up, how you got started as a professional woman in business, and a little bit about your pivot into entrepreneurship, how that all came about. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually born in San Francisco, but I bounced around for a while um, until about middle school. I lived in Russia for a few years, but what primarily grew up in San Diego. Um, so California girl through and through. Um, and then I, I went to Stanford for undergrad, which was an amazing experience. And post-graduation, I worked in tech my entire career up until mm-hmm. just enough. I started at, at Google, uh, working on the Google Glass product, which was a very interesting experience, and uh, then transitioned. I worked at Uber for almost four years, um, and my last role was at Lime, the scooter company. So kind of had, um, I I kind of found a little niche in in the mobility world as well, which was really interesting. And most of my tech uh, experience was was in operations and product. So kind of got a a good blend of, of a lot of different aspects of the tech world. But, you know, I did it for about eight years and just wasn't super passionate or fulfilled in the work that I was doing. I really wanted to find something that I was passionate about. I always had kind of an itch to start my own company. I attempted to start a company in between uh, Uber and Lime, but just I don't think was in the right headspace and wasn't at the right time. So uh, that company ended up failing. It was a it was an alcoholic popsicle company, and for many reasons, it failed. There is a type, there is a theme of alcohol in, in my in my um, <laughs> entrepreneurship journey, but for many reasons, that wasn't the right time to start a company. So, um, went back to Lime for about a year, um, and then left at the end of 2019 and started just enough in 2020. Wow. Okay, so I want to I want to rewind a little bit because you covered a lot of very interesting ground. So you've worked at some very prominent tech companies. And I'm wondering if you could just share with us, because I think it is really relevant to a lot of founders who kind of look at their own launch pad and they look at their own professional experience and sometimes feel like, oh, I don't have enough experience or no one's going to take me seriously. So I do really appreciate when founders can kind of dig in deep and really share you know, the kind of work that they were doing and and also, you know, later on how that may or may not have helped their own entrepreneurial journey. Oftentimes I, I kind of feel all experience ultimately does help. I absolutely think that the learnings that I took from all of my roles was super, like was super important to the company that I'm building today. At Google, I primarily worked on the marketing side. We were helping actually physically fit glass to, to individuals who were buying it. 
Um, so it's a very much in-person customer service related role, which I think is obviously very integral to starting your own company as well. And then at Uber, I did, I was on the marketing side for the first year. Uh, and then I trans for, for a city team, I was actually living in Singapore at the time um, and was working on the local team there, working on um, marketing Uber to uh, on the rider side to, to riders there. Um, and then when I came back here uh, to, to San Francisco and worked in the headquarters, I worked on the product side on the writer incentive team. So basically, anytime you got a, an Uber promo code, my team helped build that. So I helped manage that process as well. And then at Lime, it was also on the product side. So Lime, I helped build the product that allowed what we called juicers, which are basically independent contractors who went around and picked up scooters and would bring mm -hmm. them home and charge them at night and then put them back onto the street. So I helped build the app that that allowed them to find the scooters and manage that whole process. So I think, you know, I got to touch a lot of different hats and a lot of different roles, which I think is really important when you're a founder because you literally have to wear every single hat. Um, so I think right. that was super important to my foundation. You know, I also, I went from very fast paced growth companies into a, you know, now a pretty old school, very traditionally slow industry, which I think is a really interesting transition. But I think culturally, I learned a couple really important things from my from my past roles. I learned, you know, how to have the like work ethic kind of hustle mindset that you need as an entrepreneur, which you know, which I got a lot from the the really fast paced companies, and and how to you know build quickly in an antiquated industry. <laughs> um, to be honest, you know, I also took a lot of cultural things that I may not wanted to have in my own company, and also wanted to take, you know, obviously. Working for Uber during their crazy times was a really interesting experience and learning some of the cultural things that I wanted to take and didn't want to take moving forward. It's also been really interesting for me in my entrepreneurship journey. So at what point in that journey were you, you know, walking the dog or at brunch on a Sunday afternoon and you said, you know, I think I'm going to quit my job. I mean, yeah. what, was that, what was happening at that time? Very clearly, it was um, October of 2019. I was on vacation in Spain, wine tasting, <laughs> and I was honestly dreading going back to work. Mm. And, you know, it was one of those experiences of, of why am I doing something that I don't love or, you know, building a product or an experience that I don't love. And so I basically came and quit two weeks later and <laughs> did some soul searching into what it, you know, what I did want to do and very, very, you know, purposely landed on wine. So when you decided, well, obviously the, I'm not happy at work. This is not really exciting me anymore. It was probably a, a longer experience yeah. before you came to, to that conclusion. And, and obviously with the, the great resignation, actually, before mm -hmm. I move off this point, I'd, I'd love to get your reaction to the great resignation and so many women in particular that are leaving the workforce and starting their business. Do you resonate with what the trends that are out there and, and what do you see as the trends in that particular area? I personally love it. <laughs> I, you know, we spend so many hours and so much of our mind focused on work that I think you really, it's, it's, you know, it's cliche sometimes to talk about, but finding something that you're actually passionate about doing, whether that's your own company or working for a different company that does something that you're passionate about. I think it's really important first and foremost to, to follow that path. You know, that being said, I think the great resignation has really paved the path and given us now we have, especially through COVID, a lot of tools to start our own companies. 
which I think has been really cool. And I love seeing all of these new, you know, female entrepreneurs pop up with these cool different ideas that they have. Yeah, absolutely. So when you made that determination that you were going to quit, it sounds like you didn't have like a fully baked exit plan. You quit and then kind of figured it out. No, I didn't have a plan. I, I quit, you know, I, especially at some of the companies that I was working at, my mind space was, was very occupied. And I think I, I, I found it really difficult to really focus on figuring out what I did want to do while I was still working there. Um, so I, I gave myself permission to take a few months off and really do some, you know, soul searching into what it is that I wanted to do. So oftentimes when founders think about making that big leap into entrepreneurship, uh, and certainly in a situation like this where you quit your job and you are kind of starting from ground zero, was it a scary experience for you? Was it exhilarating? I mean, what was going on with, uh, kind of emotionally for you at the time? I, it was definitely scary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but then again, it's a, it's a combination of both, right. You know, and, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs talk about the highs and lows of starting a company. And it's really true. You know, I'd have days where I'd sit down, I'd sit down on my computer and be like, what do I actually do today? I have no idea what I'm going to do today. And that's really scary. And then I'd have days where I, you know, something would happen or I'd make a, you know, I'd, I'd make a step forward and it would be really exhilarating and exciting. And so I do think there's a combination of both, but I think the the really fear of what am I actually building and what did I do and having the security of people around you is very real. Right. And how did you find your way in that regard? Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I had um, a couple of other founders near me at the time and advice that I got from them is literally do just one thing every day, whether that's set up your, your corporation or LLC or find your name or set up your website. It's just, if you do one thing and take one step forward every single day, eventually the pieces start to fall in place. And you, you know, then you sit down at your computer one day and you're like, Oh, I have too much to do today. (laughs) How do I get it all done? And it's true. You know, I, I, that's, that's kind of how I tackled it is just, if I didn't know what to bet that day, at least if I checked off one thing, I felt like I was moving forward. And so how long did it take you before you found like you, the business was starting to come together? You had a bit of a, a business strategy and you were getting ready to actually launch the product. Yeah. So I officially started the company in January of 2020 when I set up my LLC. And we, I actually brought in my co-founder in March of 2020, mm. um, which was a game changer for me. And I can talk more about kind of how important I think it is having that emotional support. We spent a lot of time working on the brand. We spent about three to four months thinking about the brand. Our first cans launched September of 2020. So it's about like a nine month period of really iterating and setting up the brand of the company. That was actually quite fast. Right? <laughs> Goes back to the, the tech mindset. Yes, it was very fast. Um, but uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I really know how to go at a slower speed at this point. And was it hard for you to find a, um, a co-founder? No, I was super fortunate. Um, so my founder, Caitlin, we actually went to undergrad together. Um, and it kind of by, um, I don't even know, but by basically I posted on LinkedIn in, I think, February of 2020 saying I'm starting this new company. Uh, in the wine space. If anybody's interested and wants to help, please let me know. And Mm. she just happened to reach out. She was in her first year of business school. 
at Michigan Ross, and she was um, coming back out to San Francisco for an internship at one of the consulting firms. And she was like, I have a couple weeks in between. I've always want to start my own business. I love wine. You know, can I, I'd love to help in any way that I can when I do have some free time. And then, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, COVID hit and her internship was canceled. So she had this whole summer to work with me and she ended up falling in love with the business. We have an amazing working relationship and came on as a co-founder in March. Well, that's a great story. So you now have a co-founder. You've been at it for nine months. So now uh, talk to us about the business, what it is, what the vision is and where you're at today. Going back to kind of why I started this business, and I, you know, I mentioned that I landed on wine after doing some soul searching. And for me, I've always loved wine. I've loved the ubiquitous nature of having it be your transition from work to leisure on a random Tuesday, but also have it be a part of a really fancy food and wine pairing experience and, you know, kind of have it elevate whatever you're eating. And so I've always loved wine. So landed on some, landed on wine is something that I wanted to go into. And then looking into the wine world and a problem that I had for myself, I would constantly open a bottle and waste it a few days later because I go to dinner and it would go bad, or I would drink too much and feel bad the next day. So I wanted a more practical serving size. And so landed on that cans for that reason. The cans give you a glass and a half. So it gives you that more kind of built-in portion control, um, which is amazing. And then, you know, looking into the cans that are out there today, you know, it feels like there's a new can something popping up every day at this point in the alcohol space, whether it's an RTD or a kombucha or a beer. Still in the wine space, it tends to be a lower quality wine. And so mm-hmm. we really focus on a premium quality experience out of the out of the can, um, you know, like a really high quality bottle just in the can instead of the bottle. And, you know, the cans give you a lot of other added benefits. They're much more environmentally friendly and sustainable. They're portable and, you know, take them wherever you want. So, you know, you get that added benefit as well. Um, so that was kind of the, the genesis of the, the brand. Um, since then, as I mentioned, we launched September of 2020 with our first two varietals. All of our wines are vintage Appalachian specifically playing on that premium aspect. And uh, we now have six varietals in our portfolio and are trying to expand. And um, so I, this is going to be like a dumb question, but do you produce the cans in one location and then have them like shipped to the winery and they, they fill them there? I mean, how does that work logistically? We purchase all of our cans from Ball. Um, Ball is just, you know, the the standard in the industry. Uh, the cans get a sleeve plate placed on them. And then actually the wine and the cans come to a, a basically a co-packing facility in Sonoma. Um, and we do everything there from the packaging perspective. Mm-hmm. And was it hard for you to kind of find all your suppliers, the vineyards you're going to work with, you know, manufacturers of your cans, et cetera? The hardest part, to be honest, is the sourcing of the wine. You know, it when I first started the business, it, there's we so we source a lot of our wine in bulk, meaning we go to we go to vineyards out there who are producing wine and buy directly from them. We're, we're, we don't own any vineyards, so we're, mm-hmm. we're going out and buying ourselves. And when I started the business, it was very much a um, buyer's market for bulk wine. Um, there was a lot of excess wine, but then with COVID hitting and <laughs> alcohol <laughs> increase, alcohol sales increasing a lot, there was a lot more demand for, for wine. 
also, you know, with, unfortunately, with climate change, with the fires and with the drought, we're just producing less wine. Mm. Um, so the wine is actually the hardest part in sourcing. Um, we have found some really awesome partners at an Edna Valley, which is where we get a lot of our wine. And so we're, we're, we're now securing that, but it did take us a fair amount of twist my arm. I had to taste through a lot of wines to, to find the right, the right ones, but that, that was the hardest part in the supply side. Um, luckily for us there, we were able to find cans and a partner pretty quickly being in, you know, being in California in the Bay area and, and the fact that cans are so on the rise, there's a lot of new facilities popping up that are able to do canned wine. And so is there anything unique about like the size of your cans or anything else you'd like to share about the, the can? The, in terms of the size, our cans are 250 milliliters. You'll traditionally see two different sizes of canned wine out there. You get the 250, which equates to a glass and a half, or the 375, which is actually half a bottle, which most people don't realize. They'll sit down and drink one of those and they're like, oh, this, this is a lot. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't realize. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's that. But, you know, I think in regards to the cans themselves, as I mentioned, you know, they're, they're much more environmentally friendly. So um, the, the glass bottle is actually the largest contributor to the carbon footprint of the wine industry right now hmm. um, because of I mean, many factors, but mainly because, you know, the, the glass packaging is, is very expensive from an emission standpoint to ship because you have to, you have to protect it, but also it's very heavy. Glass is also not particularly easy to recycle, whereas aluminum cans are much more recyclable. They're the most commonly recycled material material out there. Um, they're actually the only material in the bin that pays for itself, whereas everything else actually costs the um, recycling plant. To oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so it's really important to the ecosystem. Also, a fact that I love and is, I think is super fascinating is, is uh, uh, aluminum can be infinitely recycled and a can can be re- can be recycled within 60 days. So if you drink a can of our wine today, it can be out in, into the public and something different as an aluminum can within 60 days, which is amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, much more environmentally friendly. And then, you know, the can, it's actually a very interesting container for wine. You know, you don't, you don't get any of the um, oxygen or any of the light through the cans, which, which means that the wine doesn't age or change at all, which means that the wine that we taste on canning day is the wine that you will taste when you open the can. And so it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting way that winemakers haven't really think about, think thought about wine in the past because it doesn't change at all. Also the, the question that we get all the time is, won't my wine taste like aluminum? And they're all of the wine technology for cans has come a very long way. And all of them are sprayed with a liner on the inside that protects the wine from the cans, you'll never get any of that aluminum taste. And the spray that's put on the inside is completely healthy and not toxic. Yes, yes. You know, it's, um, it's BPA free. Um, you know, it's, something, it's, it's, it's a good question, um, but it's, it's very safe for everybody. You know, as, as you've gone out to market your product, I know that wine um, is pretty complica- complex. Yeah. to sell. I'm wondering if you could just share with the listeners what some of those marketing and, and kind of distribution challenges are. It's probably the, the biggest headache of the business is figuring out all of the different alcohol laws. Alcohol is a three-tier system traditionally for wholesale. And to be honest, every state is different. So some states we can sell directly as a producer. Some states we have to go to a distribu- distributor, which is that three-tier system. Some states we can ship directly to consumers. Some states we can't. 
So now that as you think about kind of, you know, the next three years, what's the vision for the company? Our vision is to become the category leader in premium canned wine. So we, you know, there, as I mentioned, there's a lot of wine, canned wine out there today that are in the, you know, three, $4 price range. Our price range on the shelf tends to be seven, $8. We want to be known as that category leader, the premium, um, the premium side of it. So that means that we're, you know, we're primarily in California today from a sales perspective um, where you can find us. We want to expand more nationally in the next three to three to five years and grow from there. And I'm presuming you carry Chardonnay, Cab, Pinot. Specifically, what grapes do you carry? So we have four still and two sparkling. We have a Chardonnay, a Rosé, a Pinot, and a Red Blend. And then we have a Brut Bubbles, which is like a Prosecco-style sparkling and a sparkling Rosé. Sounds great. Yeah. Okay, so I'm excited about trying the wine for sure. Um, yeah. And... Uh, someone has to come up with wine that does not um, increase your caloric intake. Yes, right. <laughs> um, that's one of those fun challenges. So now I wanted to chat with you uh, regarding our startup hacks. And I'm sure during this journey that you have had to lean into certain strategies, certain tools, resources, um, philosophies that you feel helped you to gain a competitive edge, save money, save time. And I was wondering if you could share maybe your top three that you um, developed over the time that you launched your business? Uh, the first one, and I, I've, I've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I think it is so important to find the right support system. You know, I don't mean like your friends and family and your therapists, like those are obviously incredibly important, but someone who you can go to for your daily questions, your daily up and down emotional shifts, um, going through, through it with somebody is so important. For me, it was finding a co-founder, and I think that has changed the business for me and has changed the trajectory of the business. Um, not everyone obviously can find a co-founder, so whether it's finding a startup community, a group of founders, a Slack channel, someone that you can go to and just ask questions, vent to every day, I think is so, so important. I think that would be my like number one suggestion for starting mm -hmm. a, for starting a company. The second thing that I think we did that was super important is we spent a lot of time on the actual brand and the story behind the brand before we even launched or thought about launching a product. So we really thought about like, what are our core values? What are we trying to change for people? What are the goals that, pe that people have that we're trying to help them achieve? And basically put a personality behind our brand before we even launched a product. Um, and I think that has been super important for us to maintain a very clear and consistent goal throughout everything that we do, whether it's the social media, the, the branding, the marketing, the positioning, the wines that we choose, the charity organizations that we work with. Like it just is the types of people we hire. It's like so integral into everything that you do to make sure that you have a very clear picture of what your brand is before you jump into, you know, to building the product or your software, or whatever it is that you want to build. I think that's incredibly important. Very smart. And then lastly, it's funny, you said, um, you know, how do you have some money saving, um, some money saving tips? My last tip actually is to not be afraid to spend money. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, it's, you know, it can sometimes be counterintuitive. And I was, I, you know, I certainly felt this way in the beginning. We bootstrapped for the first um, almost year um, of the business, I guess actually a year and a half of the business. Um, but uh, 
I always had this thing where I couldn't spend money on this or I didn't want to spend money on this software solution. And I think it often actually caused us to slow down or would inhibit our growth to some degree because we were too afraid to spend the extra couple bucks on the new premium plan or to hire a developer to build the website for us. You know, I figured I'll just do it myself. And I think, I think at the end of the day, if we had spent more money in the beginning, it maybe would have allowed us to do the business, to build the business quicker. And so I think it's, you know, obviously don't spend money frivolously, but be able to not have that such a blocker of I can't spend money because I'm too afraid I'm going to lose it mindset, I think is also really important. You know, that's an excellent point. And you're absolutely right about that. So saving saving money is is really, that comment's really about creating smart efficiencies, but it, it, you are absolutely correct. You really do need to invest not only in your company, but also in yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I have one last question for you, which is if you could wave a magic wand, what's mm-hmm. the one thing that drives you bananas that you wish someone had already developed a solution for that would make your life a lot easier? And it can be anything. As I mentioned in the beginning, this is a super antiquated world where mm. the laws have been in place for a hundred years now that no one's really changed. And they're so nuanced and complicated that even some of the times you'll call one agent for in California, will have a different answer than another agent. Mm. I want someone to just come in and streamline and fix all of the alcohol laws in the United States. Like that would be my big magic wand and make it, make it more, um, I guess, easy for small entrepreneurs in the, in the alcohol space, not just wine in the alcohol space to try to break into this, this industry. I think that'd be my big, my big thing. Sounds like you need to run for office. (laughs) God, no. (laughs) That's one thing I don't think I'll ever do. (laughs) But I do think that you probably could get a lot of people to support a campaign, that's for sure. (laughs) Yes, I mean, a lot of people would agree that I think that that some of the alcohol laws are are a little bit ridiculous in today's world. But, um, you know, I know they're, they're meant to protect us as well, so... It's, it's just a complicated, nuanced, you know, it's just, the, I think the fact that like every state is different and every state has different requirements that I think is, is the hard thing to navigate as a very small company. And it's very expensive to navigate as a small company trying to figure out, you know, you want to do, I want to do it right. I want to comply with all the laws and it's, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a very, um, a very good suggestion. And at, so hopefully sometime in the future that'll happen. But as we can see, there are some states in the, in, in the union that have very different POVs about things. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but a very good suggestion. All right. Now, um, I'd love for you to share your, um, your website, how people can follow you, contact you if they have questions, if they want to purchase your product, which we always love. So you can purchase our product on our website. We ship directly to you at justenoughwines.com. Um, I also encourage you all to follow us on social, all of our you know, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn is Just Enough Wines. And then we're available in stores primarily in California. We have a few locations in Florida as well. But if you go to our website and you can see the Find Us page, that's where you'll see all the stores that we're in as well. 
Wonderful. Well, best of luck with the growth of the business. It sounds like a really great business and certainly very well-timed given what's going on in the world. So, and I love the social impact piece. So congratulations and best of luck. Thank you. I appreciate it. Tune in next week for more Startup Hacks. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that will save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Fernanda Kirapina, and we will see you next week.